If you're older than about 60 years old, you've probably had measles. Catching the measles used to mean a week or 10 days of misery. With a fever, the characteristic rash, cough, eye inflammation, feeling just plain miserable, and often a lot worse. In the early part of the 20th century, in the United States, in young children, the mortality rates were sometimes approaching 10%. And in the developing world today in young children, the mortality rates also approach 10%. So this is not just a little rash and fever. That's Dr. John Swartzberg, clinical professor emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley School of Public Health. It has a substantial amount of morbidity and mortality. And I want to emphasize the morbidity piece as well, because what I mean by that is that people can get awfully sick. They can get pneumonia. They can get encephalitis, infection in the brain. And the encephalitis, for example, can lead to permanent damage for the rest of their lives. So this is just not a run-of-the-mill little cold. And it doesn't spread like a little cold either. Measles is one of the most contagious viruses around, according to Dr. William Schaffner, professor of preventive medicine and infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University. When we exhale, the measles virus comes out in the air that we exhale. Now, we all know influenza is spread this way, but the way influenza spreads, you have to be within three feet of the person who's exhaling the influenza virus to pick it up. Of course, that can happen with measles too, but measles is so infectious. If a person is in a room exhaling the measles virus, and then that person leaves the room, and a susceptible person comes in an hour later and breathes that same air, they can become infected. You don't even have to have person-to-person -person contact to spread measles. It can spread like wildfire. That's especially true because when someone's infected, they're contagious before they know they're even sick. This means that a perfectly healthy child who's going to get measles tomorrow will start with the symptoms tomorrow already today can be spreading the virus. So the virus can be spread actually for a day or even two before the person actually becomes ill. Another means for rapid spread to the unaware and susceptible. Those are among the reasons the current measles outbreak has spread so far so fast. Far more than 100 people have been afflicted in more than a half dozen states. And at least in California, one of every five sickened has required hospitalization. Schaffner says it's likely that someone caught measles overseas, then came to the U.S. to vacation at the one place where it could perhaps be spread most quickly, Disneyland. This was a perfect storm. You've got the spread of measles among all these kids, and some of these children then have gone home to other states, to Canada, to Mexico, and have begun to set up satellite outbreaks in their home communities. Outbreaks are more likely in those home communities if a fair proportion of parents have withheld their children from vaccination, typically over safety concerns. There are people who are genuinely concerned about having all these immunizations done in very young children, and they see the doctor coming with a needle and injecting something into their child that is going to make the child cry for a disease that they've never seen before and that doesn't really exist much within our society, and they really start to question that. It makes people hesitant. It's a trend that's increasing, according to Alta Sharo, Warren P. Knowles Professor of Law and Bioethics at the University of Wisconsin. In the public health community, there has been a recognition that we are entering a period of outbreaks 
for a variety of things. Whooping cough, for example, has been a visible problem now for several years. Some states having particularly bad outbreaks in areas where the vaccination rates had really gone down quite a bit. So in the public health community, people knew that we were now seeing clusters of vaccine-hesitant or vaccine-refusing parents. People in public health have been very worried about this for a long time and have been trying to communicate to the public, albeit not terribly successfully, that immunization remains a very important public health tool. And frankly, because there weren't very many cases of measles, the public health message was falling on deaf ears. It's almost ironic. The success of the immunizations have led to a population now that has never seen cases of measles. Most doctors haven't seen cases of measles. So no one thinks it's terribly important. And that apathy has in part led to too many people being not immunized. A survey by the Pew Research Center suggests that's true. While 90% of people over age 50 believe the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine is safe, people of childbearing age are less sure. Only 81% of people aged 30 to 49 agree, and people aged 18 to 29 have an even worse opinion of the vaccine. 67% think it's safe. So Schaffner says too many parents opt out, avoiding what they feel is the greater risk. Measles is unknown as a disease because now the mom didn't experience measles, the mom of the child, nor did her mother, the grandmother. So there isn't this knowledge within families to, at the very least, respect and even better, fear the disease. And if you don't respect or fear the disease, you don't value the vaccine. So it's an unknown. Number two, of course, is this terrible myth that was perpetrated by a most unfortunate and now completely invalidated and discredited publication about 15 years ago linking measles vaccine with autism. That's bogus. It's phony. There's no truth to that. That's been studied from here to Timbuktu, and all the studies are reassuring there's no such association. But that notion persists. Many public health experts, such as Schwartzberg, have run out of patience with anti-vaccine activists. He says their decision not to immunize affects far more than just one child. We have a responsibility to ourselves, to our children, and to the community that we live in. And each of those are very important responsibilities and have to be taken very seriously. If I didn't immunize my child and my child developed measles, my child could spread measles to some other child that hadn't been immunized. And there are some children who can't be immunized. That is, they can't be immunized because they have cancer and are in chemotherapy, or they're immunocompromised in some other way. Also unprotected are those who are too young to be immunized. The MMR vaccine can't be given to those less than six months old, and it's not recommended until an infant is a year old. Ordinarily, what keeps those kids safe is something called herd immunity, but vaccine refusal breaks that apart. If everybody in a school is immunized against measles and then someone else comes in who hasn't been immunized, that child's not going to get measles in that school because no one else in the school is going to have measles. So the herd has immunity. Because measles is so contagious, the percentage of people that need to be vaccinated to get adequate herd immunity is above 90%. So it means we have to have a very high percentage of the population immunized to make it very unlikely that someone who's not immunized could get infected. Herd immunity is a good thing, 
except, Charo says, when someone tries to ride its coattails unfairly, figuring they can skip immunizing their child and still be safe. It is, in some ways, an effort to be a free rider. This is an effort for a family to say, we want the benefit of our child being protected by having all your children vaccinated so they become a kind of circle of protection around my child. But my child's not going to suffer even the momentary discomfort, let alone the incredibly remote risk of some adverse event. So my child is a free rider on all of your children's agreement to undergo vaccination. And that just seems selfish and wrong. But is it illegal? Should parents be required to worry about everybody else? Schaffner says immunizations are part of the social contract, the same one that says we all stop at a red light and go on a green. We don't put up with traffic violations because they endanger everyone else. And Sharo says we historically haven't put up with vaccine refusal either. We have, since the very founding of this country, understood that the limits of personal liberty and the limits of parental discretion are going to be formed at the point where that autonomy creates a danger to others. So we have, in fact, had vaccine mandates for a very long time in this country. We've had vaccination programs going back to colonial days. We have key Supreme Court decisions about the legitimacy of state rules that say you cannot do certain things like come into a public school, for example, unless vaccinated, the Supreme Court upholding that where the nation's public health and the safety of its citizens trumped claims of personal autonomy. Today, state law usually decides a parent's legal obligation. Mississippi and West Virginia allow immunization exemptions solely for medical reasons, and as a result, they have the highest immunization rates in the country. 19 states waive requirements for personal or philosophical beliefs, and 48 allow religious exemptions. Well, there aren't really many religions that actually prohibit vaccination. So that is a somewhat narrower kind of exemption, but it's problematic because it puts the state in the position of having to decide what's a real religion and evaluating what is the real doctrine of that religion and evaluating whether this parent is in fact sincerely believing in that doctrine. These are questions the state does not want to have to ask. So for the sake of simplicity, as well as a sense of fairness, there are many other states that have broadened that non-medical exemption to include, quote-unquote, philosophical objection. Now we're basically at the point where any parent can say for any reason at all, I don't like vaccine, and say, I don't want my child vaccinated, But nonetheless, I want my child to have the full range of rights to enroll in school and to participate in group activities, even though the reason my child is unvaccinated and therefore a potential threat to the community is just because I don't feel like it. Ironically, Schaffner says, the United States is the only country in the Western Hemisphere where measles is still transmitted. And it's likely that before the year is over, thousands of children will be sickened with measles in the U.S., If there's a silver lining to the current outbreak, it's that an apparently increasing number of parents have been shaken out of their complacency and brought their kids in for vaccinations. Legislators in some states have also started talking about the chances of beefing up immunization requirements. There is now a moment for reconsideration, I think, of what kinds of exemptions we think are appropriate and what kind of measures should be taken, even if you're going to keep the exemptions, to make sure that parents find it at least as hard to be exempted as to get vaccinated. Sharo says people are also starting to talk about the possibility of lawsuits against parents who don't get their kids vaccinated when a classmate gets seriously ill as a result. Those suits may not succeed, but Sharo says the mere mention may signal a turning of public opinion. 
Perhaps it is unreasonable to forego vaccinations without very good justification. Perhaps we do have a duty to protect all children. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You can always find our shows on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Nearly a third of people with diabetes say they can't make sense of their blood sugar results. But with the new OneTouch Vireo blood glucose monitoring system, patients can better understand the results without doing extra work. Easy to use, its color-coded range indicator shows whether a result is within, below, or above range limits. After using the OneTouch Vireo meter for a week, 94% of patients said it made the results simple to understand. Here's Dr. William Polonsky, co-founder and president of the Behavioral Diabetes Institute. Many people may feel overwhelmed by too much information, information that isn't clear or simply the day-to-day effort of managing diabetes. The OneTouch Variometer can help patients feel more confident about managing their blood sugar by providing helpful feedback about the results and opportunities for better control. The OneTouch Variometer also looks for signs of progress and provides positive reinforcement through automatic messages that let patients know when results are consistently in range or back in range. To learn more, visit OneTouch.com. Today, Geico's stuff found in your car takes us under your passenger seat. Hello, darling. Remember me? That earring you lost? I thought we were close, but then it took 15 minutes to notice I was missing in this ghastly carpeting. That's 15 minutes you could have used to switch your car insurance to Geico and saved hundreds of dollars. Money you could use for new earrings. And wouldn't that be nice? For you. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com today.